Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, now, you've got those little um, slips of paper. Uh, Beth read the passage. And the outline isn't quite... Um, if, you, if you've ever done Bible talks uh, and you have to give an outline, you'll all, or when you go to a conference and the, the speaker says, look, the outline's slightly different to the, what I'm going to say, it means that they've given the outline before they've written the talk. Uh, and uh, so it's not quite um, what it is there in the outline. But, um, look, probably you'll just be listening. I don't know whether you'll be wanting to take copious notes, but I'm just going to try and bring this down. There we go, a little bit. Um, so Sarah's prayed. So I will just launch straight in. What I might do is... Oh, I'm just going to grab my glasses. You know, if you reach a certain time in your life where your arm seems to be long enough. Um, I wonder if you've ever uh, had a, a time in your life when you felt a bit wobbly um, and off balance or perhaps even felt like you were pushed off track, literally. Um, this passage speaks about that. Uh, I remember when I was quite young, Kate, I don't know if you remember this, when uh, we used to, as a family, used to do a lot of acti active things on weekends like picnics and bushwalks and a bit of camping here and there. And we also had uh, a sailing boat, which sounds a lot more impressive than it actually was, because it was one of those small, um, they were called lasers. Anyone know a la the laser sailing boat? They're really small. It's almost like one of those stand-up boards, but slightly bigger and with just one sail. So we had this, uh, sa this small sailing boat designed for one person, uh, but because... Uh, some of us in the family were inexperienced, Exhibit A. Um, it was too scary to go out on your own. And uh, so I would go out with Dad. So uh, did you ever go on it, Kate? Yes. You did? On your own? No. <laughs> Who did you go with? <laughs> it brings out the worst in you, I have to say. But I remember one day um, Dad and I went out on the laser. I didn't really want to go. Uh, Dad was keen. Uh, Mum said, just go, just do it. Uh, so there we were at Pit Water on the, the quiet side of, um, you know, Palm Beach on one side, Pit Water, um, the quiet side on the other side. And uh, we were, um, it was very calm and it was quite a nice day. But then you know how sometimes out of the blue a southerly blows up? So there we were out, a little bit out, out you know, far out to shore, from shore. And the, the southerly blew up really quickly. The water was very choppy. And, and all of a sudden, the, the laser just went boop and plopped over. And we lost the rudder. And um, we, the, the boat was capsized. And it was really scary. And I remember um, being quite overwhelmed by it. And, but thankfully, we weren't too far out from shore. And we basically just sort of swam in with the boat capsized and got onto, you know, ground and then we sort of pulled it up. But, uh, you know, it was, it was quite overwhelming. And I think when I think about that, I think that's what life can feel like sometimes. We can be going along and we can, you know, feel like everything is going well. I related to the control freak um, type of personality. 
And uh, suddenly things just come up, sometimes out of the blue, sometimes not out of the blue. And we can feel like we're being blown over. And we can feel overwhelmed and life can feel really hard. And as Christians, many of us here are Christians, it can feel like that too. Particularly when I think we're kind of going against the tide. Um, You know, the media can have a go really quite quickly when it comes to Christians. We can be tempted to think perhaps what we believe about Jesus isn't true. We can face opposition from other people as well. And the other thing that can throw us is that even within the church, there can be divisions and fights. And, of course, when that gets to the media, then that's just a free-for-all. What do we do with that? How can we, as women, as Christians, how can we deal well with that kind of opposition or the things that can make us feel like we're we're sort of being blown over. Well, what I want to talk about today from this passage is to think about knowing who we are in Christ and how uh, what we have and and where we're going, our identity, enables us to be grounded and also enables us to actually live a life that he talks about that is worthy of the calling we have received. So that's, that's what Ephesians 4, 1 to 16 is uh, in essence. Um, so we're going to do that. But before we go in there, now I think uh, you've had a series on Ephesians this year, is that right? Yeah? And it's, you've had a few, like three talks from Ephesians. So if I was to throw out a few questions like, what are some of the themes that you've heard in Ephesians? What would you say? What, what are some things that come to mind from, say, chapter 1 or chapter 2 or chapter 3? Anything come to mind? I mean, I've got a few thoughts, but I'll, um, I'll throw it open to you. Okay, let me ask you a few basic questions. So who wrote... Th- we're looking at a letter from called Ephesians. Who wrote Ephesians? Paul, the Apostle Paul. Where was Paul when he wrote the letter? In prison? Yes. Perhaps Rome, but we're not sure, but yes, certainly from in prison... Um, can you think of uh, the sort of things that he was concerned about in this particular letter? Because what Paul does in his letters is he has, he does two things. He has the theory, the theology, and then he has the application. That's what he does here in Ephesians as well. Can you think of some emphases in Ephesians um, in chapters 1 to 3. Any that, that come to mind? Any verses that come to mind? It helps if you do have your Bibles, and I know some of you won't have your Bibles, but feel free to open them up. It's an open book exam. <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly. Unity? Unity is a really big one. And what does he say about Unity. Or what does he say the problem is that the gospel has solved? Unity is big, though. Yeah, that's right. So in chapter 2, he talks about the dividing wall of hostility that's been broken down because of what Jesus has done at the cross, his death and resurrection. So you have unity uh, between... Jews and Gentiles, they all come together as one. 
And you could say, in a way, unity with God. There is that sort of the dividing wall of hostility between us and God has been broken down as well. Any other verses that stand out in Ephesians that you think are good? And this is all by way of context for what we're going to be thinking about in chapter 4. Is there a particular verse? Because that's spot on. To something. It's like what Hebrews says, like somewhere it is written. <laughs> yes, I think, I, I actually don't, yeah. It's, yeah, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith in Jesus and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Yeah, that's right. That's big. That's huge, actually, because I think sometimes we can think that it really is about what we do. And is that not what we do? It's what has been done for us. And that's at the heart of what we believe as Christians. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves good enough, nothing we can do to earn our salvation. Now, that's important to keep in mind, particularly as we come to chapter 4, because chapter 4 begins with, I mean, it begins with Paul's credentials as a prisoner. He often refers to himself as prisoner of Christ. It's, it's part of his identity. It's like a, a calling card of his, a servant of Christ, a prisoner for Christ. He's in prison because of the gospel. But he talks about making every effort and, and urging Christians to live lives worthy of the gospel, which sounds a little bit like, you know, saved by grace, but now you've got to work really hard to stay in there. So that's a good thing just to keep in mind because that's not actually true, but just keep that in mind. And let me just ask the question that I think is going to guide what we look at in chapter 4. How do we, in the light of the gospel truths of chapters 1 to 3, how do we walk or live the gospel life? And that is in the context of being Christians, not becoming Christians. So Paul says, make every effort. Make every effort, but it is to live out who you already are. Walking in a way. So when he uses the word live, it literally is walk. Live or walk in a way that is consistent with who you are, not who you want to become in terms of becoming a Christian. So he says, I urge you to live a life Worthy of the calling you have received. Now, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 18, he talks about that calling in terms of being in Christ and the hope that we have. When I think about being a Christian, one of the things I love about being a Christian is the hope that comes in Christ. And so Paul writes to these Christians in the city of Ephesus in the first century, but this is God's word for us as well as for them. He says, live a life Worthy, literally walk in a way that is in line with who you are. And it really is more a step by step, a chipping away. And what are those steps? If you have a look at verse 2, he says, let me just read some of those verses to you. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. They're some of the qualities that come with being a Christian. Now, when he says be completely humble, uh, that's a really good quality. I think we Aussies think that's a good quality too. But it might, So it might come as a surprise to hear that in first century Gentile culture, actually self-promotion, boasting 
was far more acceptable. To be humble was to be, you know, like be hard on yourself and that wasn't a good thing. Paul says, be completely humble. Living and walking in a way that is humble. He says, be gentle. Um, gentle can also be, can mean meek. And uh, I think sometimes when we think about gentleness and meekness, we often think weakness. Uh, I think there's a saying, it's a bit of a joke, it says, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with the rest of you. you know, in other words, you know, sometimes meekness can feel a bit like being a doormat. But actually, being gentle or being meek is to put someone else before you. And that takes strength, so it actually involves being strong to put other people before ourselves. So be gentle, be humble, be patient. This is all part of what it is to walk the Christian life. Being patient, not just enduring difficulties, but actually actively trusting in God who is in control. It's interesting that uh, Kate mentioned about control. Um, I would also like to join the uh, Control Freaks Anonymous Club. And, uh, and the thing is that uh, it, 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 I do want to be in control, but when we know that God is the one who is in control, it means actually we can let go. And when we let go, we can actually look to the needs of others rather than the needs of ourselves. So be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another. Again, it's so much easier in theory, isn't it? When you, th when you hear those terms of, of these qualities, bearing with one another, it's so much easier in theory, so much harder in practice, particularly when there are annoying people. I mean, obviously none of us, but there are a lot of annoying people out there. You can't expect me to be bearing with them too. Yes, that's what it is to walk the Christian life. And this is to be who we are, not who we you know, want to become in terms of salvation. And I wonder when you hear those qualities, does anyone else come to mind? Humble, gentle, patient, bearing with people. Anyone come to mind? Jesus, exactly. That's often the answer to the question. And in this case it is, yes. And we are called to walk the Christian life following him and becoming more like him. So we are to live a life worthy of the gospel. And I wonder whether you noticed in verses 3 to 5, as Beth was reading it, uh, there is a whole lot of ones there. Did you notice that? Again, this is still in, in terms of the heading of walking uh, and, and living a life worthy of the gospel. Make every effort, again, there's that kind of that effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I wonder when, when you think of your church here at Marsfield, um, when you think about the people who make up the local body of Christ. Uh, there are different people, aren't there? There are different personalities, uh, different life stages, different circumstances. And yet, 
the body of Christ is described as being united as one because we're united under Christ. We are part of God's family. And even though we are different, we belong. We are one. We are united. We come together because of our shared hope and our shared faith under one triune God. Now, it doesn't always work that way. Sadly, there are often divisions in the church. That's often how churches become churches because a, a part of the church splits off. It's so sad when that happens. The thing is that when we live consistently with the gospel, there is that beautiful oneness that is there even amongst the differences. So God's word says, make every effort to keep that unity. And what does that look like, to walk in this way? I don't know whether you've noticed that uh, we're told that we've got to walk 10,000 steps or 8,000 steps or 12,000 steps. And I've realised that, you know, I've got one of these watches and it tells me how many steps. Let's see, how many steps have I done today? Okay, not many. Oh, well... 5,768, to be precise. And I've realised that you don't get to 10 or 12 um, without being intentional. You've actually got to make an effort to get up to 8,000 or 10,000 steps. So it's good for us to think about how we can be intentional when we think about this walking of the of the. Christian life is walking in a way that is worthy of the calling that we have received. Perhaps it might be, and let me ask a few questions, when we think about unity or love or bearing with one another, are there people uh, that might even come to mind now who you find hard to love in the local body of Christ or who try your patience how can knowing God, being in Christ, enable you to intentionally, because sometimes if it's not intentional, it's not going to happen, intentionally love that person? Perhaps it might mean praying for them. Perhaps it might mean praying with them. Perhaps it might mean listening to them. So often we're, we're sort of not good at listening. We listen and we love and then we learn and then things change about how we relate. Perhaps when we think about the unity of the spirit, it might involve putting others before your needs. Again, in theory, fantastic. In reality, not so easy. And perhaps where there are issues of disunity. And sometimes there are good reasons for disunity when people are going off track from the gospel. But if there are not good reasons for disunity, how can you actually be intentional in promoting unity? Sometimes it's something that actually doesn't matter. But you feel it personally. How can you be intentional about promoting unity? Walking the gospel life, it, there is something very intentional about that. How do we do it? Well, we think about how we... And when we follow Jesus what that looks like in an intentional step-by-step -step way and being more like him. Secondly, we think about, thinking about walking the gospel life is, 
is by being prepared for works of service. And we read that in verses 7 to 13. Let me just read those verses again. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. That's a quote from Psalm 68. And now Paul just expands on the ascended and descended. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions, that is Jesus? He who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he, that is Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ, that is the local church, may be built up, perhaps not quite like the towers we built on our tables, because they weren't that solid, but the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we are to make every effort. Again, you know, it, there's, a, there's a sense in which this is, there's hard work ahead. When, when we read make every effort, and you know what? When we read make every effort, we might be hearing those words and thinking, ugh, I'm already exhausted. Now I've got to make more effort in the local church. How do we do that? Well, here, alongside that sort of chipping away step by step, is the beautiful reality that God gives us all that we need. He gives us the equipment. He gives us people and gifts so that it will promote the building up, so it will promote a gospel maturity. Verse 7, to each of us, grace has been given. Grace, uh, is an, another word for that is gift. In other words, we have all that we need as we are called to make an effort. Verse 8 is a quote from Psalm 68. It kind of, it might feel like it's sort of, you know, sticking out a little bit in, in the flow of these verses. But basically, Psalm 68 is about God and about God's rescue of his people, referring to the Exodus. He rescues his people and then he gives gifts as part of that victory. What the Apostle Paul is doing is, He's drawing a line between what God has done in the Old Testament of rescue. He's drawing a direct line between that and what Jesus has done at the cross from slavery to sin. So he's drawing a line there. That's very significant. It's God in the Old Testament, God in the flesh, Jesus. And he explains with the language of Ascending and descending, that tells us something about what Jesus did. He descended, God in the flesh, he came into this world and then he lived a life that we cannot live and he died and he rose again and he ascended into heaven. And in the process, he gives gifts. Now, we all love gifts, don't we? And uh, I think, did you have you noticed that we're approaching the season of gift giving? Have you noticed that there's already decorations in the shops? Not they haven't decorated the shops yet, I don't think. But there's have they? Oh, okay. So we're already there. We're not even into November yet. 
Um, so I don't know whether you think, oh, yay, gift-giving season like Christmas, or whether you think, oh, no, how many days till, till Christmas? But, but generally, gifts are good. We enjoy getting gifts. I think many of us love to give gifts as well. These verses are about gifts given to God's people for God's people. And they're used to build up. I love that we, we had a, a game that was about building because this passage is about building up. And God gives people and he gives gifts so the body of Christ, the local church, is built up and strong. So verse 11, we read uh, of the gifts in terms of people. So we read about apostles. Now, apostles were eyewitnesses to the, the Lord Jesus. And they, would, they, they told people about what they had seen and heard. So that was in the first century, apostles. Prophets, that's a general category, but of people who would speak a message from God for the encouragement of God's people. Evangelists, people who go around and, and tell people the good news of the gospel. And pastors and teachers, people who are able to lead God's people in the various churches that have been set up. And that's true then and it's true now. Perhaps not with apostles, but uh, and prophets is a little bit hard to understand what they look like today. But evangelists and pastors and teachers, true for us today. Verse 12, they are given to the church to prepare and equip God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ, the church, is built up, strong, until they all reach unity in the faith. See, and again, notice that that word that someone said about a focus in Ephesians is unity. There it is there. In other words, what Paul is writing to these Christians in the first century, what God is saying to every generation of Christians, he's urging them to live a life worthy of the calling they have received. But it's not like God says, okay, so here's what you've got to do. I'll leave you to it. I'll come back some other time and see how you're going. No, no, he's, he's actually left us with, with the ability, the people, the gifts, so that we can do that. We can be growing and mature. So he's given gifts, gifts to you so the body of Christ, so they will grow, become mature, and in maturity know the joys and the hope that comes with being in Christ. So for you here in Marsfield, you have leaders who have been given gifts for the teaching, gifts of encouragement, gifts in evangelism, and so on. And I know that uh, you've got ni a 90, is it the big nine zero tomorrow? Isn't that incredible? That is amazing. God has given gifts to people here so that this church continues and grows and is mature, equipped for works of service, serving one another. So what do we do with that? Well, how do we, what do we do practically or how do we respond practically? I wonder whether, even if you're not a leader in, in this church, whether you are aware of gifts that God has given you to, to build up the church. Sometimes people are a bit reticent. Oh, I don't have any gifts. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not for me. No, he's given us all gifts to use for the building up of his people. How are you using them? 
perhaps think about something you can do if you think you've got the gift of encouragement. Be, again, be intentional about using them for the good of others. The other thing is that when you think about the local church, are you encouraging those who have been given gifts to, to teach you and encourage you? I think sometimes leadership can be really lonely. It's lonely at the top, as they say. And I think sometimes leaders can feel like maybe they're not doing such a great job. You know, the whole no news is good news attitude. I'll let them know when they're doing the wrong thing. Apart from that, just, you know, keep on going. No, why don't, why don't encourage your leaders who are teaching you? It will go a long way to encourage them when you let them know what you appreciate about their leadership. And when that squall blows up, when you're feeling the pressure of opposition, when there is disunity among believers and that becomes a thing, you can know that you're not left to fend for yourselves, that God has given you the equipment in the form of people so that you can become strong and mature and more like Jesus. So that's the second thing I want to say. The third thing I want to say is as we think about God, walking in the gospel life, living a life worthy of the gospel, being equipped through gifts and people. Lastly, growing up into the likeness of Jesus. Let me just read these verses to you. So given all that he said in verses 1 to 13, he says, "Then, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Did you notice that these verses... These last three verses follow on naturally from the previous ones. The, the then is there because he's, he's saying, if you understand these things, then you will not be tossed back and forth. When there are questions about uh, why you believe what you believe or why do you go to church, it seems so archaic and misogynistic and homophobic and all the rest of it, that can feel like you got, you're being blown by a big southerly. And when these questions come, and by the way, they're really good questions. I think it's good for us to think about those questions, but they can throw us. Because we have been taught well, because you're being taught well, because you have leaders who are helping you to grow up in maturity, because you have models of unity and patience and forbearance, you will be equipped and you are equipped and you'll have a framework that means you're able to respond. Respond to those questions that will come, but respond in a way that isn't defensive and it isn't, um, you know, mean-spirited, but we can respond with grace and we can respond with respect, but we can also respond with substance and with confidence to those who might ask why we are Christians. We won't feel so thrown by these things when we have a good framework that will hold. I'm sure you've had conversations with 
neighbours or with people that you have contact with who wonder why you believe what you believe and you might feel a bit embarrassed or, or a bit awkward. But I think the more we understand the beauty of the gospel and the more we are equipped through the teaching and the preaching and the evangelism, the more we will know how to have conversations that Paul says in another letter, conversations that are seasoned with salt and full of grace. He says here about speaking the truth in love. I don't know whether you've ever thought this, but sometimes I feel like when people say, well, I'm just speaking the truth in love, it's kind of a reason to feel a little, a little um, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's a reason to be a bit mean or a bit, bit harsh. Well, I'm only saying the truth and speaking the truth in love. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. It's not a, a license to be mean. Speaking, the word speaking here is really more, about, more than just words. It's about living out the truths of the gospel and doing it with other people. And not being mean, but being gracious, but having substance there. And then he says in verse 16, from him, that is Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The Apostle Paul often refers to the local church as the body, the local body of Christ. I love that analogy I'm an ex-nurse. I say ex-nurse because I think that I haven't done nursing for so many years. I think I'd be dangerous. And uh, but I remember when I was um, when I was nursing in a hospital, I was just so fascinated by the human body. I don't know, Katie, if you remember that I used to come home and talk about all the things that I saw. Um, some of them quite gory. I think my younger brother um, he hated it because I just loved talking about whatever I saw that day on the wards. But the body, the human body is so beautifully designed. And when it works well, it is amazing. When it doesn't work so well, it's not so good. You know, there's, there's you know, sickness and there's, you know, we're getting older and, and the body doesn't work as well as it used to work. But when it is working the way it was designed to do, it is a beautiful thing. When the body of Christ works well, when it's working together, when it's doing what it should be doing with all the differences, but working together to serve the whole, it is a beautiful thing. And that's what Paul is speaking about here when he's writing to these Christians in a, the town of Ephesus, real people in a real time, but true for us as well. Growing up in Christ the head, he says, that is Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Joined together with others, being like Christ, serving one another and showing the watching world what it is to follow Jesus. A beautiful picture. Well, we've come to the end of the passage. How do you sum it up? What do we think of? So that, is there one more talk after this? This is it? Okay, I was going to say the next speaker, they can ask you what you, you thought about of, of chapter 4 and you can sort of sum it up. What, how do we sum it up? Paul is saying, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received in the light of the hope that you have in Jesus, the hope 
That is knowing Jesus, God in the flesh, living it out in a worthy way. The reality is, just like the first century Christians, for us, it's not always easy. You know, living a life worthy of the calling we have received. In fact, it's quite a high bar, isn't it? Living a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And the thing is that life isn't always straightforward, is it? You know, there is sickness, there is hardship, there is disappointment, big disappointments and small disappointments. There's relationship breakdowns and you worry about those closest to you. You know, we worry about our parents, we worry about our kids. What do you say, Kate? You say you're only as happy as your the least happy child. Um, you know, you, the reality is we're not in control. And, you know, you might have faced quite a few bumps in the road in your own lives. And the fact is there could be many more bumps ahead. But knowing the one who is in control, knowing the one who has been in this world, this messy world, and has been raised to life and promises hope for all who look to him, means that whatever the squall, whatever the southerly that blows up, Whenever we feel like we've been knocked down or thrown about, there is such great comfort and hope because we are part of God's family and we know the one who is in control. And, you know, for for Dad and for me, being on that water was pretty scary. But we weren't too far from shore. And as far as I knew, Dad was in control. Not sure that he was, but I thought that. But it's good to know the one who's in control, isn't it? We do know the one who's in control when we follow Jesus. And the fact that we are united with God and not just left, but equipped so that we can encourage each other and serve one another in all our differences, working together and looking to the one who's made it all possible. That's hope. That's a wonderful picture. Let me pray for us as we finish up. Father, we thank you for these beautiful truths. We thank you, Father, that uh, in the gospel there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. You are the one who saves. But as those who belong to you, you enable us to keep walking, to keep living out these truths. You've given us each other. Thank you for those you've given us who lead us. And thank you, Father, that we are never alone and that we're always, we can always look to the one who is in control. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus and we pray in his name. Amen.